welcome to Pioneer Spotlight. Just a quick disclaimer, Tobias and I recorded this episode a couple of months ago when he was building green startups at a venture builder called Striber. However, he's since gone on to leave Striber and is in the process of building his startup himself. He's assembled an impressive team of seasoned industry experts and is now working on the decarbonisation of the housing sector. He'll happily tell us about that more in a future episode. Still, his insights from working at Striber are more relevant than ever before, and he's been working on climate technology with some of the biggest companies and funds out there across multiple industries and over three continents. The following 30 minutes are packed with powerful learnings on how to find a problem and get from zero to one with your company. Enjoy the episode. So Tobias, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, we're really excited to have you here and very much looking forward to discussing how to start a sustainability business and how you can get involved in sustainability. But before we get into all this, I'd be really keen just to get an understanding of who you are. So if you can please introduce yourself, that would be fantastic. Yeah, uh, of course. So thank you very much for for having me today. Um, I'll try to keep it short. So originally, I, I have a business background. I worked in a couple of startups, mainly in fintech, doing mainly things in the area of uh, business development. I was actually running my own sustainability consultancy after that for a while, where we were really focused on helping startups and young entrepreneurs on how to set up their startup in a sustainable way. Um, during this journey, I had the chance to live in Berlin and Lisbon to really beautiful cities. Um, and, and now for nearly two years, I'm based in Munich and working at Striber. Um, and Striber is a corporate venture builder. So, so that means we build the startup portfolios. So, so even more than one startup, but in the best case, a couple of startups um, for the really big companies all around the globe. And in some cases, even for big funds. Um, and um, yeah, my, my role within Striber is a venture architect, right? So you could, um, you, the metaphor would be the, the early stage CEO um, for the startups that we built. Um, and on top of that role, I also lead the sustainability efforts at Striber. Fantastic. That sounds really interesting. I also, uh, uh, that's a really nice job title as well. Um, <laughs> kind of architect. That's really interesting. So in terms of your background, then you mentioned that you've been working and you've had your own startup and, and, and things like this in the past. And typically when we talk about climate technology businesses, they are, they are startups or have been around for the last couple of years. I'm interested to know from your perspectives, your perspective, will corporates solve the climate crisis? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. And, and I think we could probably speak the whole podcast only around this. But my, my brief opinion is we desperately need corporates to solve the climate crisis, but they are really, really struggling. Right. So you see more and more net zero pledges. Um, I think two thirds of the big corporates around the world have done some kind of net zero pledges. Um, that's probably because there's huge pressure from stakeholders. Um, but, but if you speak to the top managers about implementation, they're sitting in front of a blank paper. Not all of them, they're good in initiatives, but many of them have no clue how to actually hit these net zero um, targets. Uh, gr great times for management consultants, obviously, right? <laughs> um, but also especially great times for startups because this, this kind of brings in two opportunities. In the B2C space, there's a couple of sustainability problems that a startup can solve way faster than those slow giants, right? And then on top of that, there's a massive B2B opportunity helping these corporates to become more sustainable. So in the best case, um, innovation from the startup space goes kind of hand in hand with innovation from, from the corporate space. Interesting. That's fantastic. Um, and you mentioned there that they, they have this white paper in front of them or that they might not be able to solve you know, or meet those targets. Why? Why is that exactly? What what blockers did they face as 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 businesses? I mean, it depends on the case and the industry. 
obviously, but I think there are two core points. Um, one is mindset and the other one is speed. Um, let's maybe talk about mindset quickly. So corporates are rather risk averse, right? They don't like taking too much risk. Um, so quickly changing processes or changing business models or even investing in new business models to become more sustainable, that's considered to be a risky move. Um, but the, the funny thing is, the risk of inaction is actually way higher, right? So not going green would probably make your company completely irrelevant in, in the future. Um, but lots of corporate leaders have a blind spot here. Um, and they completely underestimate the, the depth and the speed of this transformation that's happening. So I think Tesla is a very good example, right? They completely overall the other, um, the other car players. Um, and then speed is the other point. So the earth is heating up. We need to be super fast and fighting climate change. And speed is just not really uh, part of the of the corporate DNA. Um, that's maybe two core points. And then depending on the case, there's things like generational bias, right? The, the age group of the people that manage these companies, shareholder interest, short-term thinking, company politics. Yeah. Interesting. So the, are they too big to to solve the challenges themselves internally? Would you would you would you agree? I think they can't do it alone, right? So, I, and I think just a little bit of corporate VC is, is not going to solve it. But they, what they need to do is do three things. They need to decarbonize their core business. They need to decarbonize their up and downstream activities. And that's actually where there's the big, big, big B2B opportunity for startups, helping these companies, you know, to understand their um, up and downstream activities, understand their emissions, help them reduce it. Um, and then on top of this, the company, companies need to create new green business units themselves, right? If you're in coal, um, that you need to create an alternative business model. Coal is going to die, right? Um, so eventually you also need to be uh, willing to take risk and build on new new business units. Interesting. And do you, do you see much investment coming from the, the big corporates of the world? I don't know, let's uh, let's use the Deutsche Bank, for example, or, or something similar. Do, do you see them investing in green business units or, or green or greener startups, for example? Are they, are they looking to invest money into this to support their aid of decarbonization? Um, I think it's slowly beginning. So it's for a couple of years, corporates have in general been more open to, to the startup world, right? So there's been incubator programs, accelerators, corporate VC units um, that was often very much focused on the core business. So a bank would probably more um, invest into or collaborate with a startup in the fintech space. I think there's slowly more action towards sustainability and there's a couple of really nice initiatives out there, but it's I, I wouldn't say it's a big global trend yet. It's, it's not as far as it should be. Okay. And, and, and do you see that changing? Do you think that will become a, a global trend soon where, where these corporations are, are setting aside money every month, every year to, to, to build cleaner and greener companies? I hope so. But as said before, the, the, the mindset might not always be in place. And, but, but I think these companies that understand it, they're going to be the market leader of the future. That, that's for sure. Wow. And, and you mentioned earlier about kind of uh, sectors that are, that are going to do really well. You mentioned, I think, along the lines of up and downstream carbon calculation and, and how to reduce those carbon emissions and things like this. What other or where are there other gaps in, in the sustainability sector from, from your perspective? Maybe give us an idea of, you know, how can I actually find or, or how can I, I develop a startup in the space? Where, where are there niches that still need innovation or, or investment? 
Yeah. So, so something I can really recommend for everybody listening today to check out is the Speed and Scale website. So Speed and Scale is actually a book by John Dern. What he basically did is he broke down the fight against climate change into objectives and key results. And there's a website with a tracker where you see all the in industries, what kind of decarbonization needs to get done um, and where it is a standing. So that's kind of a nice inspiration to see, look, we there's a big gap or here's a big gap. Um, to, to maybe give a high level summary, I think we can separate in climate change mitigation and climate change adaptation models, right? If you think about climate change mitigation, there's three subcategories for me. The first one is the, the industries you need to decarbonize. So that's not very surprising. It's energy, food and agriculture, transportation, building and construction, manufacturing. Um, then there's the whole um, carbon removal industry, right? So technology and nature-based solutions um, to, to remove carbon from the atmosphere. And then there's a couple of enable models around this, right? So this is where fintech comes in play, data management, like carbon accounting or education. Um, and on top of that, there's a separate field, which becomes more and more interesting, which is climate adaptation. So for example, cooling down our cities or risk forecasting or um, insurances, um, that's something that's evolving because we, we've already missed a couple of climate targets, right? So a certain amount of climate change is happening um, for sure. Um, and maybe to, to go a bit deeper and talk about gaps. So I think transportation and energy is already getting quite a lot of attention. Um, but in agriculture, heavy industries, construction, um, and scalable carbon removal technologies, there, there are still quite some gaps and also investment gaps. And, and do you think those industries that you just mentioned there, particularly like agriculture, for example, is, is it a heavy is it a heavy investment needed industry? For example, like do do if I'm to have an idea on building this startup in in this particular area, is do you think I require a lot of capital, or or is what's like the what's your understanding of that? I mean, depends depends on what you're building, but maybe to walk walk through that example of agriculture, if I was looking for a startup opportunity. Um, I would first try to see, okay, what is a really interesting problem space? So for example, we take food and agriculture. Then I go one step deeper, um, trying to find a concrete problem to solve. So if you look into the food industry, you will realize that um, it's a huge emission producer, right? Around 30% of global emissions are somehow related to the food sector. Then you go one level deeper and you realize, wait, 70% of these emissions actually come upstream, right? They come from, from the farmer level. Um, then you can dig even deeper and maybe speak to some farmers, speak to some scientists, and then eventually you might find out, oh, wow, soil is super critical for carbon sequestration, right? So we can actually store um, carbon in the soil. Um, but there's a huge problem because farmers don't have any incentive to change their farming behavior. Um, and then based on that specific problem you found out of going really deep into that broader problem space, you can, you can ideate your first solution, uh, which in that case could be some kind of ad tech to educate farmers. Um, and, and this solution doesn't have to be super capital heavy, right? Um, so there's easier models, there's software models that also can have a huge impact. Interesting. And you mentioned something there about education, like ed tech, for example. And is, do you, in, in your opinion, if I'm starting a business in, in the sustainability world, is there a lot of education needed still with people across the world when it comes to things like investors or um creating the idea like how do you how do you find like when you're speaking to investors or to to, to people across the world are, are people well educated in in sustainability and climate change not enough that's for sure i mean it's it's getting better with the younger generation but it depends a little bit also on, on the countries and, and the regions um i think that moment i put 
co-founder of a sustainability consultancy in my LinkedIn profile, there was just tons of headhunters contacting me for sustainability management roles, right? So companies are lacking um, this knowledge. Um, so I think there's going to be quite some more education to be done in the sector um, and, and training for employees to understand what's going on. Interesting. Again, it's, it's interesting to hear that because we are, as you know, we're, we're also a, a, a talent agency for the sustainability market. And we really genuinely see ourselves in a, a really strong position from an education perspective because we speak to an awful lot of candidates and professionals in the market of all different ages. And I think the biggest challenge is that we are, are educating these people because they're not aware of some of the things that are happening in the world. Um, you know, working, we're, we're working with some kind of like food um, orientated business. We're working with IoT based companies. We're working with organizations that do carbon calculation and carbon tracking. And it, it's really surprising the amount of individuals we speak to, they don't realize that they can apply their skills to help solve the climate crisis. And I think sometimes people think that that climate crisis is just reserved for scientists. It's not reserved for, for anyone. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's definitely wrong, right? So um, if you have a strong background in software, you can have huge impact, right? You don't need to be a scientist. You don't need to build something in hard tech. Or you can, if you have a business background, then you can enable a team of scientists, right? So there's tons of things you can do. Um, luckily, we have the internet with tons of resources. You can educate yourself. So um, nothing should stop you to to go into um, climate tech. It's definitely the most promising space um, at, at the moment, um, especially when you look into these enabler models, right? So these are the ones you can often build just having a software background. Do you have any examples of any any startups that are in this enabler model? Because it, it, sounds, it sounds really interesting what you're mentioning there about the, the bar to entry might be slightly lower. Maybe if you don't have any suggestions, of companies, do you have an idea of, of, or could you give you an example of, of an enabling company that's been successful before? Yeah, let me think. So something I, I really like is a company called AFresh from the USA. Um, I think they got quite decent funding too. And, and they basically build an AI powered forecasting tool and ordering tool for supermarkets and grocery stores, right? Um, and that's really interesting to see because they're solving this issue for supermarkets, right? Making sure they only order the food they actually need so there's not too much food waste. But you can probably apply this idea to a couple of other industries where demand forecasting plays a role. And this is a typical case of an enabler model um, where you don't need to build something crazy in hard tech. Um, it's in the end, it's just a software helping to take better decisions. Um, if, if, if I was thinking about industries to go into, um, there's an interesting study from McKinsey where they break down the biggest markets for net zero offerings in the future. Um, and it's exactly these ones we just talked about. So transport, building, power generation, agriculture, and land. And there's tons of enabler models, right? There's models around um, how can you enable private households to pay for their uh, retrofitting and, and they're all on the roof. How can you make permits move easier? So, so many things uh, where you don't actually have to be a scientist and can have huge impact. Amazing. So what you're, what you're saying is if I have some skills in a particular area, whether it's business, software, accounting or whatever, I can apply my skills to build a startup in the sustainability world, even if I didn't study climate change or, or, or something at, at university or college. Yeah, definitely. I think the, I, I, or I don't think that the founders of the huge um, successful sustainability companies all have a science background or have been expert in this field. It's, it's the same with other startups, right? So actually being an industry outsider, sometimes helps to think out of the box and do things differently. Fantastic. I really like the idea of these enabler models. I think they sound really interesting. And actually thinking about our customer base and the companies we're working with right now, a lot of them are in that in, in that ecosystem. 
they're looking at existing infrastructure, for example, such as solar panels, and they're allowing you to, you know, become less reliant on fossil fuels by installing solar panels, for example, or whatever that industry is. That's that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So let's say I've I've got my idea. I've thought about it long and hard. I've listened to this podcast two or three times. I'm thinking, right, I've got to do this. You know, I'm inspired, I'm motivated to build something and have a positive impact, not only on my life, but other people's lives on the planet. What's the first step? And and you, you touched on this slightly earlier about validating the idea, for example, but what is that? What is that first step? And, and how do I validate my idea? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think this is where many people are already struggling, right? So maybe you find this high level vision that you're excited about, but how do you actually break it down into executable work streams? If you haven't read The Lean Startup, please do it. That's uh, probably going to help a lot. So what's key in the early stage is to stay, and actually throughout the whole venture, is to stay super user-focused and finding a good problem to solve. Um, you need this first concrete problem to solve as a starting point. Later down the road, you might pivot, um, but you need to start somewhere with a good problem. Um, and I think Y Combinator defines the, the best problem as problems that are big, right? So many users, huge market, um, that are growing or at least not shrinking, um, that are urgent, which is, I think, given in sustainability, that in the best case are even expensive if they're not solved. Um, so really suck for the, for the user and that are mandatory. So if regulation plays in, even better. Um, the, the challenge you have in, in this whole impact space is that you often come from a society or a planet problem. But to build a business, you need to find an individual's problem, right? You need to find this payer who you, who you solve this, this problem for, and then he or she pays you for that. Um, and, and the steps, uh, for me, the steps are validate your idea, then do first testings, build an actual MVP. And then once this is done, you build the real product and, and, and scale. Um, and throughout this whole process, you stay super, super close to the user. So during validation, you do interviews. During um, testing, you try to get some kind of signups. During the MVP, you get first transactions, first sales. Um, and then even though you're scaling up, stay close to the user, bring a user into the all hands, um, speak speak to the user. I think that's that's super powerful. If, if you want, I can go a bit deeper into how we do um, problem validation at Striber. That would be interesting to hear actually firsthand experience how you, how you, do, how you do that because... I think hearing it from a practical perspective could be really, really valuable to the, to the listeners that have an idea. So how, how exactly does that happen then? Yeah. So I said before, deep dive on the user problem. Um, that's in the best case done by interviews. You can do a little bit of research. Maybe there's magazines where your target users interviewed or forums, but actually speaking to these people and going really deep into the problem. And when they state the problem, then you say, why do you have this problem? And then you say, why do you have this problem again? So you get this really deep understanding uh, why this problem sucks for the user is important. On top of that, I will always check competitors, right? What can we learn from people um, that have done something similar? I'd, I'd even try to speak to them. Um, and um, then it makes sense, I think, to be, become a, a industry nerd quickly, right? So on top of speaking to users, I'd also try to speak to some experts in the, in the industry. Um, and then there's a couple of calculations you should probably also make. So quickly quantify your market size. It doesn't have to be precise, but if you find out it's a super small market, it might not be a good startup case. Um, quantify your impact, right? Is there any kind of statistics pointing towards to how many tons of CO2 you can 
um, you can save or how much food waste you can save. Um, and then even in that stage, I would already try to get a first draft of the business model or, or the unit economics just to understand, okay, does this even make sense from a financial perspective? After this first validation, um, what you should do is write down your core hypotheses. So the hypotheses that kind of need to be true for this business model to work, then you rank them um, by importance or, or risk to your business model, and then they will dictate your next steps, right? So if your core hypothesis is, users are willing to pay for X or Y, then probably your next test is some kind of landing page to see if users would actually sign up for that price. Awesome. That sounds really, really cool. Um, no, I'm really amazing to hear the step-by-step. -step. I think that's really beneficial to hear from top to bottom. And I was going to just add in there as well, like you mentioned a couple of times about MVP. I think some people listening might be thinking, well, how the hell do I build an MVP? Like, where do I even, where do I even start? I think people have to realize that also MVPs can be very, very low level. There's also some amazing free tools out there, whether it's, you know, you mentioned like a landing page, for example, you know, you can build a landing page in WordPress for less than probably the, the cost of the domain name and a little bit of hosting, you know, some creativity and you can build products quite quickly. But there's also some fantastic kind of no code tools out there before. I don't know if you've come across these before. Um, and they can be really interesting to build web applications without you actually coding. Do you have any experience with any kind of tools or anything that, that people could use um, to, to, to build that initial MVP to, to show to people it works? So, so that's super case dependent. I think a tool to quickly build landing, landing pages is, is Webflow. It's just very convenient. Um, and you can even steal templates that, that other users built before. Um, if you're looking into B2B, you might not even have to spend so much time building that actual MVP. Or actually, MVP can just be super basic website with an offering. And then you go into B2B sales and try to get this first letter of intent, right? And having, I don't know, 10 people saying, look, we actually want to pay for this and signing the letter of intent, that that can be that first traction. And that's also super, super, super important. And what many, I think, entrepreneurs don't understand is you need to be laser focused on your hypotheses and ignore everything else, right? Um, you're just looking for that first traction. You don't spend time on designing your logo. You don't spend time on making your landing page beautiful. You don't spend time on any kind of perfectionism. Um, I wouldn't set up my company before actually making that first sale, right? Be, be efficient, otherwise you're going to lose so much time because you get... I know it's exciting to start a company, right? And you want things to look nice, um, but that's not you, you're in testing mode here. Um, so keep it super simple and, and try to be as fast as possible. Awesome. So then we've we've done all this. Me and you were super excited. We're 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 building this business. What's the next step? We've we've proved our MVP works. We've we've gone into the next steps of um of of saying right. We've we've proved ourselves that we we can do this, and people want our product. You know, we've got a couple of letter of intents, and the market has responded really positively. What's the next step? Typically, people are saying investment. I need to go and raise you know four million euros. Is that always the case? Oh, def definitely not. Um, for You need to understand, A, your business models, what makes most sense. Obviously, if you're building something in hard tech and you need R&D, then it's a bit tricky without investment. Um, but I would generally say try to raise money as late as possible and stay your own boss as long as possible. Um, what I try to do to get... Um, external feedback is find advisors as fast as possible. So some kind of experts in the industry and then even set up some kind of deadlines with them, right? So have an advisory board in the best cases of people that, that love what you're doing and your vision. Um, so you kind of have to report to them um, and that forces you to actually get stuff done. Um, then if you actually need capital, I would always try to start with angels first. So people that bring in smart money, right? So people that love your vision and, and are willing to support you. 
Um, and then if you go with a VC that, that I mean, VCs are different, right? There's not this one VC. I would really make sure um, these are the people you want to work with in, in, in the long term. There's a couple of very nice impact VCs out there. Um, but what, what helps um, is putting on this investor's lens, right? So even though you don't want to waste one E, what, what I'd still try to do is build a nice pitch deck and, and a pitch deck that you could eventually pitch to an investor because that just helps you to be focused on the core points that an investor would look for, which in many cases are the points that are important for your startup to work. Awesome. And you mentioned there about an advisory board or having some type of advisor in, in so many ways. I think also to add on to that as well is like the accountancy piece. You know, if, if you're accountable to someone when you're in the early days of your startup, it can be really, really, really beneficial, particularly if you don't have a co-founder, for example, you're on your own. So I was going to, just going to ask there is like, what's your recommendation? Either go alone or find a co-founder. And if we don't know someone, where, where could I find a co-founder? That's a very good question. So I think this is, cannot be answered generally, right? There's people that have no problem with working alone. For me, that would be an issue, right? Sitting alone in my room and brainstorming uh, without any kind of accountability. Um, so I'd say for, for my case, I would try to get somebody to work with as fast as possible. Um, but obviously there needs to there needs to be a fit. Um, down the road, you won't be able to do things alone, right? So if you look at a typical Striber venture team, uh, what we have there is a venture architect, a growth hacker, product manager, designer, and tech team um maybe tech team at a later later stage um obviously you don't need all of these resources when you're starting something yourself but um getting that second opinion in is super important having that other person to rely on is super important um and in the best case obviously complementary skills um it's it's hard to find co-founders but i think there's a couple of platforms out there um depends a bit on the country i think a global one is the y combinator co-founder finding platform or so if, if you google it it's it's easy to find now you've mentioned quite a few resources here. So if anyone is listening, we will be putting the resources in the show notes as well below so people can click into those and 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 um and, and read them or buy the books that, that Tavares has mentioned. But is there any any other resources that you would recommend that anyone should get in that should be reading whilst whilst they're listening? Is there any websites or or or, or books or blog articles that you're you're a fan of? Yeah, definitely. So first of all, Getting out of the building is your biggest resource, right? So don't stay in your room for seven days and just read these blogs. Go out there and speak to your users. If you can speak to them physically, that's your most, your biggest power you can have as an entrepreneur. But of course, there are things that can help you find resources or shape your mindset. Um, so there's a cool platform called climatefounder.org um, where they basically created a summary of all resources for uh, founders in the climate space. Um, then there's a website called climatespace.org where they have a overview of sustainability companies. So that can be great inspiration. Uh, when, it, when it comes to mindset and, and how to actually build, I can really recommend the Y Combinator Startup School, lots of free resources online. Um, and, and another cool podcast to listen to is the How I Built This podcast, um, where, where entrepreneurs tell their story. And, and these early days is, I think, where you can learn a lot from other stakeholders. So how did they actually get off the ground? Yeah, fantastic. That's really interesting to hear. So as we start to wrap up then, Tobias, I'd love to kind of hear your opinion about the next 5, 10, 15 years. Where, where are we heading in the sustainability space? Like what, what's next? What trends are you seeing? What are you most excited about? Just give us your opinion on, on what it is that you're, you're, you're seeing over the next few years. Tricky question. I mean, I'm, I think I'm biased, right? Because I'm based in Germany and, and more in the Western world. Um, so I can't really talk for the, for the whole globe. What's really cool to see is that there's more and more startups for which doing something sustainable is just normal, right? So I don't think sustainability is 
gonna stay like a cool trend. It's just gonna be the new normal. So eventually, companies are gonna have a sustainability department, just like they have a talent department or finance department. So it's just gonna be the new normal. Um, I think that's really cool to see. Then there's so much innovation happening, um, and we always underestimate how fast it can go. Um, I think um, in transportation, things are gonna change heavily. Um, in in the way we consume um, energy, that's gonna be completely different in a couple of years. Um, so many important things happening. Um, however, there's also some some fights um, coming up with you know these old dinosaurs and giants that obviously want to defend um, their old business models. So it's, it's not going to be easy. But I, I'd say if you want to build a startup, go into climate tech now. It's the biggest opportunity ever. Perfect. Any final comments before we wrap up that you want to say? Last piece of advice for anyone that's kind of just about to do it. I don't know. Get get in touch with other people in the space. The the ecosystem is super supportive. Um, so just use LinkedIn. Do write these cold messages. People in the climate space are super happy to have a chat. If you feel lost, reach out to me. Reach out to anybody you're following. Um, don't don't do this alone. Um, and um, then you'll get off the ground way faster. I was just about to say, can they get in contact with you directly if they need need a bit of help, need some support? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, of course, my time is a bit limited, but uh, don't don't hesitate to text me. Maybe I can do an introduction to another person um, who knows more about the space you're curious to, to build something in. Fantastic. Tobias, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. And for anyone out there that wants to build a climate start- startup, we will add, like I mentioned, all the different notes and things to the show notes. Please get in contact with Tobias. Please get in contact with ourselves and we'll try our absolute hardest to introduce you to people who will be able to make your vision a reality. But Tobias, thank you so much. Thank you.